expecting that to be, but my name is Stephanie. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really excited because one of my friends, Joe, is here to speak this morning, um, starting kicking off our Advent series. Yes, thank you for cheering for her. Very nice. So, even the people who don't know who you are cheered, so that's a good start. That's kind. All right, Very great. kind. Um, Joe is a pastor, and she's an author and a speaker and a writer and all the things, and also my friend. Yes. Which I said first, just to make that clear, because that's the most important thing about today. Yes, it is. Um, and we just are, we were invited you to come kick off our Advent series because, um, well, maybe you'll see but as, as we go, because it's a great first topic. Um, we decided today, this, this season, to focus on the concept of Jesus as light of the world for our Advent series. And by doing that, what we're going to do each Sunday is we're going to focus on a different thing that light does, the way that light and the light of Jesus coming into the world changes our reality. And so Joe's going to kick that off this morning, and uh, then we're going to continue that on as we go through Advent. So uh, we didn't plan this transition we did well. Not. One no. more round of applause for Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. So weird. Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to be with you again. Those I've met before, hi again. Those I've not, well, still hi, because it would be rude not to do that. Um, I don't know what to say other than I'm a Brit, live here now, really love the weather, really grateful. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I have two kids, um, both in middle school. Yeah, that's happening. Um, an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old, and married to a guy called Chris, because he's fabulous, and he asked, so that was good. Um, um, anyway, I was thinking, when I was thinking of this um, series and the whole thing about light of the world, I was thinking of how, in my house, I am the person who turns off all the lights at night. I believe someone should do that because the bills are high. But I'm the person who turns off the lights at night. I go around the house again because one of the daughters has left the light on somewhere and all that kind of thing. Which means I have to get used to looking around in the dark. And I think I'm quite good at it. I feel like my eyes adjust and I'm excellent. Um, except for the moment when I step on something and I feel I'm about to be eaten alive or I hear a noise outside and believe that there's an intruder or something. Or when I hear something happening and my eyes can't measure it up and I've concluded that this may be my end and how would I like to go, things like that. And, and the difference is when I turn on the lights, I realize that the thing I stepped on was a sock and um, not something about to devour me, that the thing outside is a deer or a something and not an intruder, um, that the squishy thing I stepped in was, well, a plate of food that one of the kids left lying around. Um, in some ways, suddenly I'm not meeting my end, I'm just meeting my job of cleaning up my house before I go to bed. And, uh, but what I've noticed that when you turn on the lights, everything shows itself for what it is. For what, no matter what my imagination tells me, no matter what my so-called excellent skills of adjustment like to tell me, when I turn on the lights, thank you, Cara, for laughing. I love the way you do that. You make me feel so good about myself. Um, <laughs> um, no matter what my skills, excellent skills of adjustment like to tell me that in the end, the light just shows up things for as they are. No judgment or anything. It just shows it. It just shows it. Um, I've been a Christian about 35 years. Um, 10 years before I was born. Um, <laughs> let that run. It's a good one. Um, I mean, about 35 years, and um, in, in the UK, because the church is quite small, you kind of do denominations for fun. Um, you just kind of go where there's life. So I have a Heinz 57 experience of the church. Um, but it, no matter what denomination I've been part of over the years, no matter what places I've been in, there has been this moment which renders me speechless in everyone. 
there's been this moment that renders me speechless. And I'm not one to be rendered speechless very often. If, in fact, not at all, really. Um, but there are these moments. And one, when I was 19, I um, was Methodist then. I began Methodist. I love it. Um, and they're really into preaching. They're really into preaching. So I remember this pastor speaking. He was an amazing guy. And he said this line. And he said, God's hold on you is stronger than your hold on him. And he has no intention of letting you go. And it was this moment for me because I wasn't really talking to God at the time. I, I felt he got in the way of my social life. And so when I heard this moment, it rendered me speechless. It just grabbed me. Um, um, one of the other churches I was involved in, I was involved in charismatic circles, make of that what you will. And um, they do music. And music has a power to kind of elevate and lift the soul and all, that, all of those things. But there were these moments in the worship where I was rendered speechless. And I have a mouth and I like to sing. So speechlessness was a thing in those spaces. And um, it was like God just was there. And it wasn't that I needed to pray or say a word or do a thing. It's just, it is what it is. He was what he was. He is who he is. Um, because again, Heinz 57, in a contemplative type place, I thought I'd give it a try, silence. They told me in the books that spirit, it was really spiritual to do the solitude and silence thing. thought I'd give it a go. Extra A stars, gold stars for effort. Um, and yet in those moments, the silence was like screaming to me. It exposed things. And I guess what I would say is that no matter where I've been and whatever churches I've been in over the years, there's something about connecting with God which exposes things. That just shows up in some way. No conversation needed. Um, no bells and whistles needed. Just God. No explanation even needed necessarily. Just God. He has a way of showing things up for what they actually are. And so when I was thinking of this morning and thinking of the passage I'm going to, I was going to say read through, jump around, would be more honest. Um, the passage I'm going to jump around, I was thinking of how the, there's a way that God and his light and his life has a way of exposing things for what they are. Just revealing things as they are. And I wonder for you and I, um, as the light of the world, um, who we sing about and all the jazz, um, enters our lives, our world, our stories. What does it expose? What does it reveal? What does it show us? So with that in mind, I'm going to just go through a couple of the characters. There are many ways we could look at these passages, and I'm sure I will not do them justice at all. Um, but what I want to do is look at the story of each of the people. Um, I'm going to talk about Zechariah. I'm going to talk about Elizabeth. I'm going to talk about Mary. And then I'm going to talk about a song that Mary sings should we have time, um, and just ask ourselves what the light exposes in each of them, but also what it exposes in each of us. One of the things, and I, I probably said this the last time I was here because I don't have that many stories, um, is the thing about the Bible is that we read it, but it also reads us. It reads our life, and so my invitation as we go through their stories is to allow their stories to read our lives too. Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. He's married to Elizabeth, who is the descendant of a priest, which is like really good lineage and everything. Um, they are devout, God-loving, God-fearing people. Um, and in the middle of the everyday, uh, Zechariah's division is sent to the temple to do some duties. There are more priests than are needed. Way more. I don't think that bit was funny, but thank you. Um, there were more priests than are needed. Uh, but Zech it's Zechariah's day. 
now somebody has to have the job of burning the incense. And so they take lots to make it fair. They kind of, I guess, pick a name out of a, out of a bottle. And instead of the lottery, you get to go burn incense. It's a thing. And what happens is it's Zechariah's turn. And he goes in and, well, this bit happens. From Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 20, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a people ready Um, make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. That's a very polite way of saying she's old, son. Um, And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens, because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. What does the light expose? God shows up. Zechariah and um, Elizabeth haven't been able to have a baby. Years pass. And those years turn into decades. And decades. And he's a priest and he's getting on with his life. And then there's this moment where his division are called to do some duties. And then there's this moment where his name is picked and he goes into this room associated with the presence of God. And God shows up. An angel just pops up and says, hi, jazz hands, I'm here. And tells him the thing he's been longing to hear all his life. An angel shows up and Zechariah's like, so how can I be sure this is real? How can I, can I have a confirmation of the thing you've just said? What the light exposes is that when God showed up, Zechariah didn't recognize it. He was God-loving, God-faithful, God-committed, did the thing, did the offerings and everything, but he didn't recognize God walking in the room. He didn't recognize God walking in the midst of his everyday. But I wonder, when I think about it, I wonder, and there's only so much we can suggest and speculate, really, because it doesn't say it, but it makes me wonder, I wonder whether Zechariah got so used to his prayers not being answered whether Zechariah got so used to the disappointment of it not being answered that by the time God was in the business of answering, he wasn't in the business of listening anymore. That by the time God was in the business of doing something, he needed more than the living God to show up in some way. An angel wasn't big enough of an indicator. It's been hundreds of years since, in, when we look at that part of the Bible, since God has been showing up doing jazz hands type things. No prophets, no nothing. They are occupied by the Romans. They are just getting on with this. Hundreds of years. But it had been many years that Zechariah had been praying and waiting and watching other people's promises come true. Many years. That, and they got older 
and older and hoped and longed for. What the light exposed was that disappointment is a powerful thing and that it can even redefine your understanding of your God. How do you do with disappointment? What are the disappointments that you live with that you're so used to living with that an angel could show up and you'd be like, so how will I know? And it can be the everyday things and the ordinary things because it was an ordinary thing. In my 20s, it would have been when I was single waiting, watching all my friends get married. All of them. And it was fine. Really, it was. It was fantastic. (laughs) Glory to God. It was really good. Merry Christmas, everyone. It was so lovely. It's a wonderful time. Watching every Christmas when, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get engaged. Yes, you're going to get engaged. Shut up. Bless you. And other such things. Being defined by the... And I didn't want it to be as important as as it felt. But there's something about the things you want that you can't get that become even more important somehow. It was aided and abetted, in my opinion. My attitude was by the, you'll find someone when you're not looking, brigade. When I'm not looking, I walk into things. I fall off stages. It's not a helpful statement. Shut up. Um, But the disappointment of me praying and God seeming, in my mind, liking everybody else but me. Lord, I, I, <laughs> I wish it, this wasn't true, but it really was. Lord, I've been such a good girl for you recently, was the prayer. I have not worn anything inappropriate for a while now <laughs> or done anything inappropriate for a while now. I give and I tithe. I'm really respectful of my elders. I'm Nigerian. It's what we do. I am really respectful of my youngest. Do something. Amen. And was my prayer life. I wonder what the disappointments are that have defined you. Maybe it's not the marital thing. Maybe you have held other people's babies and celebrated and not known when it was going to be a good time to interject the diagnosis you and your spouse have just been given, that it's not going to happen for you. Maybe you've heard of someone's promotion and you know that your job's being rearranged, not a fit anymore. You left with such high hopes on a great adventure and you've come back with the tail in between your legs. As the saying goes. Weird saying, I find. But, um, disappointing. What the light exposed was that disappointment was defining Zechariah. It had eroded his faith. It had eroded his prayers. It eroded his everything. And it was getting in the way so much so he couldn't recognize God anymore. I want to ask you, where do you not recognize God's kindness and goodness anymore because the wounds are so great? Because the disappointment, the challenged expectations. I remember we moved here um, 15 years ago, anyway, around that time, years ago, and I had high hopes of how amazing it was going to be. I'd felt called to the States since I was 14, and I tried to get here under my own steam, i.e. a guy, and things um, over the years. Anyway, that's another sermon, friends. Um, Tried to get there in other ways, and when we got here, I had high hopes and expectations of how amazing and how easy it would be, and I hadn't reckoned for when other people would bury my dead. I hadn't reckoned for difficulty and pain, and I hadn't reckoned for failure and disappointment. But my prayers began to reckon with them because they got quieter and expected less 
And just when I thought it got better, it got worse again and again and again. How does disappointment define you? Let's move on to another happy character, shall we? Elizabeth! Elizabeth! <laughs> I feel like I should cheer or something to cheer us up, but I didn't do cheerleading at school because I don't do that in England. Anyway, moving on. Luke chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Elizabeth. So Elizabeth does get pregnant because between Zechariah and Gabriel, Gabriel was right. And um, this happens. After this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace amongst the people. I find those words so poignant. And what the light exposes is what her story was like. You know, in, in that time, um, in that time, childlessness was grounds for divorce. That her, there, there, inability to have a child um, made her a disgrace in her community, made her less than, made her other. Not for days, not for weeks, not for months, but for years, not just years, but for decades. And I find it fascinating that what the light exposes is not just that the longing is fulfilled, which is amazing, but also the pain she's been through. That she celebrates, but she acknowledges, she holds space for what has been. Space for what her community has done to her. <laughs> what it's cost her for these years. It's funny, the light of the world is not asking for her just to be filled with faith and happy and joyful in the whole moment. But it simply reveals that it's been tough. And I think it kind of explains why sometimes when we've wanted something for a long time, or we've fought hard for something for a long time, when we get it, it's actually still painful. Because we've been gripping on so long, we don't realize that our, every fiber of our being is aching still. Where do you ache? Where is the light showing you that, yes, you've come, you're out on the other side, but it's been real tough, and you ache? She's very honest about the expectations of her culture and the damage it's done. The light reveals the brokenness of a society that makes a woman less than because she can't conceive. And it reminds me, it reminds me of Hagar. Hagar's one of the women in the Old Testament, an African woman who's enslaved, who is um, subject to all kinds of relational dynamics that had nothing to do with her. And in the, in the middle of her story, where it's a devastating moment, she, she talks to God and says, you are the God who sees me. And I think what I love about the light of the world is that it exposes and, and helps us to see See the stories of the people who are forgotten. See the stories of our parts that we just got on with because tomorrow was just another day. The wonderful thing about the God we come to worship is that he sees the intricacies of our, our life. Not just that he answers our prayers, but he sees the cost of the waiting. He sees the longing, the difficulty, the agony, the struggle. He sees how we've been shamed and belittled and marginalized and othered. He sees how we've been disappointed. He sees how we have coped with the unanswered prayer or life not going our way. I 
I wonder where, and it's funny, I, I don't know what it is about Christmas. Like it must be the lights or something, the candles or whatever. But it seems to be this collision of all our longings and all our expectations. Whatever happened, I loved in the song that um, Dan and the, and the rest of the team led about the, the weariness, an old weary world, this old world. The year feels old by this point. And we're just getting through. When the light of the world shines on you and on your life and he reads your life as you read the Bible or as he reads your life when you hear someone preach or he reads your life when you're in worship or he reads your life when you're on your own in silence, have you brought him your ache as well as your gladness? Have you brought him your sorrow and your tiredness and your boredom as well as the good stuff? Because when we hear Elizabeth's story, we realize there's room for that too. Moving on to Mary. Mary, Mary. Oh, that's a band, isn't it? Or group. Sorry, I was suddenly transported to the 90s. It's a wonderful place. Target seems to take me there every day at the minute with the clothing. But anyway, I digress. It's not weird at all, my 13-year-old dressing like how I was when I was... Anyway, I'm just saying. Real talk, friends, real talk. Um, and nothing to do with what I was about to share. So, um, Luke chapter 1, I feel, I told you, Steph, I feel way too comfortable here. That's what it is. I feel too comfortable and I forget I have boundaries. Because really, in real talk, I, I actually don't have many. So, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. If I was Gabriel at this point, I'm like, seriously, God, get your people together. Because I ain't able to go and tell, turn up and someone ask me how, I'm, how they need a confirmation. Anyway, I'll come back. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, sorry, I'm only laughing because I'm imagining Gabriel being cynical. Um, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Oh, Mary, did you know? Um, <laughs> I used to hate that song so much. Anyway, sorry. I know it's really lovely. My kid sat me down and said, Mom, you're, you're thinking about this song wrong. It's the, you're missing the concept. Because the con I, I would hear the song and I'd be like, yes, she knew. An angel told her. And she said, Mom, it's the angel singing the song. And then I had to repent or something. Anyway, <laughs> but the angel said to her, um, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will know no end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Real talk, Mary's real blunt about things. Um, like, seriously, how? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. What did the light expose here? Very different response to Gabriel this time. Very different response. Even though the implications are way more challenging for this one. The implications of this are huge. She is betrothed. She's already lined up her life. And um, this is the biggest disruptor possible to the life that she hoped she would have. 
She's told she's going to have a baby. She's told it's God's baby. She's told it's the Messiah. How do you tell your best friend that information when you meet them at Starbucks? How do you tell them, say, yeah, funny thing happened the other day. First of all, Angel Gabriel, real tall guy. Mm -hmm. Real talk. I'm going to have a baby. It's God's baby. Really, Mary, though? You can tell us, Mary. Really? Oh, and it's the Messiah. Really, Mary? (laughs) And yet what the light exposes is the faithfulness of this woman who um, still asks questions, (laughs) understandably, um, still wants details, but is redefined when she encounters the light in all its brilliance. Somehow the light pushes everything else to the background. Mary's going to pay a high price for the yes that she gives. Later on in Luke, we hear, um, I think it's Simeon, say a sword will pierce your own heart too, to describe the impact of this child in her life. That is nothing I would want to get at my baby shower. That is the card I would throw back in somebody's face and kick them out of my house. But there's something about um, Mary's response that causes her to surrender to what God is doing that causes her to recognize the light for what it is, and it redefines. She may have adjusted her eyes to how life was, but when the light comes in, it shows out what is. And it begs the question, as I was thinking about her, when the light comes in your life, and when you've been living in your own existence, living your own way, and you're used to things as they are, and you see your relationships one way, and your expectations for your future one way, and how you handle that person who you hate, I mean dislike, I mean struggle with, that way, when you deal with your disappointments that way, and the light comes in and shows you what is, will we acknowledge it and surrender? Will we engage? Or do we just find ways to turn the light off? (laughs) There's something in Mary's response which engages but ultimately surrenders to what God is doing in her life. There's something about Mary's response which allows the light to overcome and redefine everything. Redefine everything she'll ever be and everything she ever was. And I don't know what your encounters with the light of the world have been, but I know there have been times when I've, liked, I've enjoyed it when the light of the world has been a lamp in the corner which I could turn off at will. <laughs> Bury for when it's convenient. Oh, I need something. Would you come and shine in now? Oh, no, you're good. Stay over there in that other moment. I have been selective about how I've wanted the light of the world to engage. It's like, no, I don't want to cook with the light of the world. I want you to, the light in the corner, complete with dimmer switch. But I think there's something from Mary's example that reminds us that when this light comes in, it's not just to shine, it's to take over and expose what is. I wonder what the light of the world is exposing in your life. In her song, and I'll just share a couple of um, thoughts from her song, Mary sings um, and a few verses from what she says when she's reflecting on this incredible thing that has happened and is happening. She says this, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones and lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich 
away empty. You see, what Mary recognizes is that the light of the world enters the world and, and enters the chapters of human history and it doesn't walk along the corridors of power. It doesn't go to the popular places. It doesn't walk into a Roman temple or Roman palace and say, hey, let me come alongside you. It doesn't align itself with the religious institutions which in its day were happy to align with the power and privilege of the day if you look at Jesus' death. This is a song from the margins. This is a song, dare I say it, from a caravan. This is a song from the forgotten. This is a song from a woman on the outside, and that's where the light showed itself. That's where the light showed up and shone out. And what the light exposes is that God has a different way of doing things to how we do. He has a different set of standards to that we do. He, has a different, he places a different value on things than we have. And when it comes in, it just exposes things for as they are and shows it up for what it is. And so it's inevitable when the light of the world comes in, there's going to be a collision. Particularly if your eyes are used to the dark and you light things, whether that's things in your own heart, in your own relationships, in your own story, or in the world at large. Well, I mean, what does it mean when God shows up, God himself shows up in the places where people are naturally oppressed? I mean, God, what are you saying? Turning up with this pregnant teenager rather than Herod. Is Herod not as important anymore? Do we not need to fawn over that anymore? What are you saying, God, when you start healing the sick and people that we've judged for being ill? What kind of light are you? The light that will rock your world. Rock all our worlds and turn it upside down. And my final thought for us is I want to ask us where we get to be co-conspirators with that light. You see, if we align ourselves with this light, if we align ourselves, and when we go back to work or when we create, um, whether in our art or um, when we are teaching or when we are in, in the health service, whatever your sphere is, I don't know your careers, um, wherever it is, does light shine out? Does it redefine what's in the room, in our language, in our words, in our ways, in our works? Does it show? Because I think that's the opportunity we have when we walk in step with the light of the world. He doesn't need to be a light. He doesn't need a lampshade. He comes to expose and show things as they are. The other thing about the word expose is whilst it's not humiliating, it is kind of vulnerable. It is kind of awkward. And it may be that as we walk as co-conspirators with the King of Kings, as we walk um, in, our, in our everyday lives, that we expose things that people would rather stay hidden. That we illuminate things and talk about things that people don't want to talk about. That we care about things that people have been content to push into the darkness. But that's what light seems to do. Exposed not to humiliate, but to show what is, and then ultimately to show the way. And so to close, let me ask a few questions, and then I'll pray and hand over to Steph. Let's go back to Zechariah. Where has disappointment um, defined your life? And you've adjusted, and you've got new habits now. I mean, I don't know whether it's cynicism or whatever, or distance, or whatever we call it. Use your own label. Choose your own adventure. Um, but honestly, it's because we're sad. 
Where have we rearranged our faith, our devotion, our commitment, our passion, honestly? Because we're sad. And it's okay that we're sad. Probably actually very legit that we're sad. But the light comes to show what is. Or maybe Elizabeth is the one you identify with. You've got finally what you were longing for, but actually there's a story of ache and grief and sorrow that you still need to tell. There's things you need to give voice to and give space for. Or maybe like Mary, God's showing you some things. If you feel like you're carrying a Messiah, I would encourage you to talk to Steph and Mike anytime soon. Um, but other than that, <laughs> um, um, will you surrender to what the light is inviting you to do? And then as you go to work, as you go to life, as you go to parent, as you go to do whatever your thing is, however you spend your 24-7, what does it look like to align yourself with the light in all you are and do? Let's pray together. Father God, I do want to thank you for these fabulous people. I do want to thank you for your kindness and I thank you for your goodness. I pray for those of us who are defined by disappointment. Lord, I pray you would come and restore. For those who are defined by the sorrows of what has been, would you heal and restore? And Lord, may all of us allow your light to show us what is so that we can walk with you into a new day. In Jesus' name.